lovely. Wow, what a great introduction. What a beautiful room. This is lovely. I'm so glad you guys invited me. I'm, a, uh, I'm Allison. I'm an alcoholic. Well, I could have said it the other way. I'm an alcoholic. I'm Allison. Um, and thank you so much for inviting me and thinking of, of me to come down here. It's great. Um, what great speakers so far. I, I am so in love with all of you right now. It's just so great. I love, I love recovery. I, um, my sobriety date is March 27th, 1979. And um, it, well, it took me this long to get a little bit well, so don't, don't, don't clap too hard, you know, or clap for yourselves, really, because that's, that's how that all happened. Um, and I was raised in, um, in the San Francisco Bay Area, and, um, and just to avoid people doing the math, I was born in 1950, I was a teenager in the 60s, San Francisco, ground zero, so yes, I'm an alcoholic, and... There was a lot of other activity going on for a while. But I was raised in, in a not very chaotic, crazy family. My mother was a little nuts. I really thought she should go to Al-Anon, and she didn't think so. And I think it would have done her good. But basically, I was raised to be well-mannered and to be polite and kind and, and well-educated. And, and they taught me all kinds of great stuff, and none of it stuck. And I remember, you know, basically, I, I, I say I was born in a bad mood. And I, all of my, seriously, all of my children pictures were me scowling at the camera. I, I, there's not a single one of me smiling. And um, it's always kind of like... And, and I started doing geographics about the time I was six. Well, maybe earlier, because I kept climbing out of my crib when I was younger, but... I was always kind of this restless, irritable discontent of, I am just not comfortable. I, am, I just don't get how people are walking around on the planet knowing what to do, because I don't. And maybe if I go over there, or I do that, or I check that out, it'll be different. And so even as a child, I was always kind of curious and running away, and, and I was six the first time I actually, and I wasn't really running away, I was having an adventure. And I got on the city bus, because in the 50s, we didn't know children alone on buses was probably a bad idea. And, um, but I got on the city bus, and I rode all the way to the end of the line, and I had my little adventure, and it was a little scary. And I went home, and I came home to find my mother hysterical on the porch with a couple of very tall policemen. And, um, and my relationship with the police started at about that time. And I had a very long relationship with the police. And... Um, and I just didn't understand what the, what the upset was about. I just went on a trip, and I came back, and what's the problem? And I just kind of always was like that. I was like, I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to do this, and leave me alone, and don't worry. I'll be back eventually, maybe. And, um, and then my, my grandmother was a music professor at a, uh, at, a, at a Catholic it was actually a convent, but it was elementary through high school and college, and then if you wanted to be a nun, you could do that too. And my mother had gone to college there, my older sister had gone to school there, and at 10 I said, I want to go to school there, I want to go to boarding school, because I thought, well, that's going to be an adventure too, and it's going to be different than what I've got, and it's going to be this adventure. And so I went to boarding school, and it was great for a couple years, and um, then I turned 12, 
and somehow the hormone change uh, created a personality change, and I became the little girl that none of the nuns wanted the other girls to talk to, and they warned they warned the other girls about me, and I don't even know what that was about. I just was being, you know, defiant and rebellious. Um, I, that seemed normal to me, and um, at 13. One of my, my eighth grade teacher, in, in, uh, who was a nun, um, asked me to do something that I didn't want to do. And I not very politely suggested she perform a sexual act with herself. And um, that was not appreciated. And so they kicked me out of school. And frankly, today, that is still one of my crowning achievements, I'm sorry to say. I just still am a little bit proud of that one. Um, later on, I'll tell you about how I sort of got to make amends to, to, that, to that institution. It was pretty cool. So I, then I just started running away and getting curious about things. And um, I was inordinately interested in doing every adult possible activity I could. And that included sex, drugs, rock and roll, um, any, any of the things that 12 and 13 and 14-year-old girls are not supposed to be doing, especially in the 60s. And, um, I uh, I saw movies like West Side Story and The Man with the Golden Arm and Days of Wine and Roses, and I thought it all looked very sort of glamorous and dramatic. And I, I, nobody usually in meetings talks about I'd never planned to be an alcoholic. They usually say I never planned to be an alcoholic, and I did. I, I was like, that looks really interesting to me. You know, there's the, the soundtrack, of course, of my life is running in the background, and people are, oh. And um, I just loved the idea of this. And by the way, my mother was in theater growing when I was growing up, so I think I inherited a little bit of that. And um, at 14, I started doing things that I got sent to juvenile hall for. And between the ages of 14 and 17, I was in juvenile hall or a group home or a rehab center or something. And I was locked up 17 times. There's that whole relationship with the police. And um, if the police stopped me in the middle of the night when I was somewhere I wasn't supposed to be, they would ask me my name. I'd get my first name out, and they'd say, never mind, you're coming with us. We already know who you are. And so um, so it was a very illustrious career as, as a as a crazy delinquent child. I, um, I got hepatitis a couple times, and um, for the normal reasons that one would think of today, um, I ran around, at, when I was 15, my boyfriend was the vice president of the local Hells Angels chapter. I, I mean, I was in places I had no business being, and I was with people who had no business being with a young girl. And I was loving every minute of it because I just felt like I was invincible, nobody could touch me, and I was bad. And my tools for living were anger, run, lie, or cry, depending on the situation, you know, and I could get out of almost any trouble I was in that way. Um, I was pretty good at all those things. I broke into houses, I stole things, I stole things from a supermarket around the corner from my mother's house. And I, I mostly stole socks and steak, and don't ask me, there was no real logic about that. But, you know, um, and you know, later down the, down the road, when I was doing my ninth step, I went to, to try to make amends, and the supermarket was no longer in business. It's not my fault, it's, I really didn't steal that much. But, um, you know, I had to learn how to make amends for stuff that 
you know, the, the one house across the street from my mother that I burglarized, the people were gone and dead by the time I was making amends. And so I had to learn some really creative ways of making amends. And I'm so grateful to this program for teaching me new creative tools for living besides fight, flight, lie, and steal. You know, I just, I got to grow up here. I got to, this is the place where those things that I was told begin, began to stick. You know, how to be kind, how to show up on time, how to do, you know, how to do um, polite society kinds of behavior, how to show up. But, um, so, just about the time I was about to turn 18, I, I started paying attention to my surroundings. And, and what got my attention was that most of the people that I hung out with were dead or dying, um, some from Vietnam, from the Vietnam War, but there were a lot of overdoses and accidents and things that would happen. And uh, a lot of people went to prison. And I began to realize that if I didn't clean up my act, um, I was either going to be dead or in prison pretty soon because it, it was definitely going that way. My probation officer was very clear to tell me every time I had to meet with her that I was going to end up in the then women's prison in California, which was Corona. And she said it like, you're going to end up in Corona. And um, exactly like that. Oh, but she would chain smoke the whole time. And, um, but I realized she was probably right. If I didn't start doing something different, right? If you don't change what you're doing, you're going to get what you got. So I made a decision at about 18 that I was going to actually get a real job. And I was going to stop doing everything except heroin and alcohol. Because, <laughs> well, I got in trouble on the other stuff. You know, the things that I just sat in the corner and I was just quiet, you know, that, that it's hard to get in trouble when you're half comatose. And um, so, so all the things that just shut this up were perfectly fine in my logic. But I did get a real job, and I got a job as a nurse's aide in, um, in a convalescent hospital. And they, they used to call nursing homes convalescent hospitals, but in, interestingly, nobody ever convalesced. And they generally just were thrown away and left... Um, left behind by their families, and I, I am so grateful that I also, part of my recovery is codependency, and I'm really grateful for my codependency because I believe that it saved my life because I started feeling for these people who'd been abandoned in this place, and they were just lying in their beds, and my heart opened just a little bit, and I decided um, after working there for three months, and after I think the 11th or 12th patient died, and I was like dealing with that at 18 with no tools for living, I decided I'm of course gonna save the world, and now I'm gonna become a nurse. And um, no means for doing that, no, no way to go, to, I didn't have a high school education, I had a high school education, I didn't graduate because I never went to school often enough, and so I took a GED, but I didn't know how to get into college, and how to go to nursing school, um, so I got married because that's what you do, and um, that lasted a short time. Um, and and I just kind of bounced around. I I was working as a nurse's aide in different places. I wanted to make something of my life, but I didn't know how. I didn't have money. My family would have loved for me to go to college and settle down, but they didn't really have the financial means to help me. Um, I did go to junior college for a little while, and I uh, drank wine for breakfast on my way to school in the morning, and um, did some other chemicals during the rest of the day, and um, I still got good grades, but it didn't last long because I couldn't keep it up. 
And so I was just kind of one of those people that bounced around from one thing to the next and didn't stay anywhere for very long. My shortest job, I think, was four days. My longest job was maybe six months. Um, my longest relationship may have been a year, but it, it was never like sequential, you know, we, we didn't like stay together that whole time. It would just be, you know, um, sometimes it was more than one relationship at a time. Um, I usually always had about five cats. I don't, you know, I, I was just not stable. Surprised. And um, so I got married and I left about 11 months later. I married the son of a raging alcoholic. Surprise. Um, we lived in her house with him, his four brothers and sisters, her friend who had three children, and it was a three-bedroom house. And um, I, I was able to take that for about 11 months, and then I said, you know, this is a little bit nuts, so I don't want to do this. So I decided I wanted to go to Alaska. And, um, and but I was going to go to Alaska to visit. I'd always wanted to go to Alaska. And um, I got the opportunity to visit. But right before that, I decided that if I was going to get an education, I needed to join the military. And so I was ready to sign on the dotted line to go to the Army, and they would send me to school to be a medic. But I was going to go to Alaska to visit first. And so I did, and I fell in love with Alaska. I landed in April on the tarmac in Fairbanks at the airport, and I took a breath. And there was something about me that just kind of went, I'm home. I, for the first time in my life, I had a sense of, this is somewhere I could be. And so I stayed there a month, and I decided the Army didn't deserve me. I found out that there was a nursing school in Anchorage that I could go to, and that there were grants and loans and things that I could get. So I went back to California. I packed my apartment up, and two weeks later, I moved to Alaska. And it was during the pipeline. And I don't know if you guys know anything about the pipeline years in Alaska, but it was alcohol and money and guns and cocaine and craziness. And I loved it. It was just perfect. It was the Wild West. And I'd go to the bars, and we'd hear about shootings, and I'd be all, this is so great. I, you know, I'm just this crazy person who loves the drama and the excitement and the, and the, dark, the dark side. You know, give me the dark side. I'm into it. And... Um, so I stayed there, I went to nursing school, and, and the thing is, I stopped smoking, I stopped drinking, I stopped using any kinds of chemicals, I didn't look for them, I was gonna be Nancy Nurse, and I was gonna do this thing right, and so for two years, I was wonderful. And then, about a month before my graduation from nursing school, some friends of my roommate came down from Fairbanks, and they were looking for some heroin, and I know this is an AA meeting, however, there is a connection. Um, so I said, well, I haven't done anything at all for a couple years. I can have some of that. It's going to be great. And so for about a week, I was studying for finals and using a little bit of heroin on the side. And um, wasn't drinking yet, of course. And, um, but the lovely thing is that one of these women, although it doesn't sound lovely immediately, uh, overdosed in my bathroom. And we were able to keep her alive. It took us eight hours of cold showers and yelling and making her walk and everything. But I had this moment of clarity. And that was me standing in the bathroom looking at this woman on the floor. First off, I'm thinking, oh, she's turning blue around her lips and her nail beds. I'm a brand new baby nurse. I recognize cyanosis. Aren't I wonderful? Right? Alcoholic to the core. First thought is me. Second thought was, 
how am I going to explain to my nursing instructors that someone died of a heroin overdose in my bathroom? Second thought, me. Third thought, maybe I should try and help her stay alive, right? So it took me a while to get around to the, the service part of that. Um, so we were able to keep her alive, but you know, the thing is it got my attention, and I realized, you know, I can be a nurse or I can be an addict, but I can't be both. There's just no way I can put those two things together, and I'm so grateful to that woman because I haven't used anything since that day other than alcohol. I did continue to drink for a while after that. But um, so, so that was kind of the beginning of my awakening up to I can either have a life of meaning and purpose or I can have a life that just continues to go nowhere and bounce around from corner to corner and, you know, be homeless or whatever. And, and I'm so grateful for that moment. And um, so I, I graduated from nursing school. She stayed alive. And um, I left Alaska because, again, one of the other um, not so healthy dynamics in my life had to do with relationships. And I'd been living with a guy during this time. And he was in the military. And he got discharged. And he went back to California because he hated Alaska. And I decided to follow him. I was sharing this earlier. He didn't invite me. Um, <laughs> he was surprised when I showed up. And, uh, and I was surprised that he wasn't delighted that I showed up. Um, but now I'm stuck in California again, because going back and forth from California to Alaska is pretty expensive, and I brought, sh shipped all my belongings back to California, because of course he's going to want me to move in, and we're going to be happy ever after. Um, no. And um, so there I am in California, and I get a job as a psych nurse. You should be very frightened now. And, um, and, I, and I got a job, and I was working with chronic, what they called subacute. So they weren't like mellow, they, but they weren't too crazy, but they were just sort of in between crazy. It was an 89-bed hospital, and 88 of them were schizophrenics, and one of them was a psychotic bipolar. And I loved all of my patients. It was a little weird when they would tell me some of their stuff, and I'd go, yeah, I agree with that. I believe that. Uh, really? Uh, that makes so much sense to me. And I started to get a little worried. Um, and, um, but I also found out that I was getting mad at them for not getting well. Now, you can't expect people with really bad psychotic disorders to just get well. It's just unrealistic. What I did not realize was I didn't have tools for living. I didn't have stress management skills. I didn't have boundaries. I didn't have any kind of sense of what's my business and what's your business. And, and I was not prepared to be a psychiatric nurse, really. And um, so I got mad, and I um, got a little bit, well, I lost my job. And because, um, you know, I didn't behave well. So I decided I would probably join the Navy because they had cuter uniforms than the Army anyway, and they were going to give me an education that was different than nursing because obviously nursing was not good for me. And um, so I joined the Navy. They sent me to lab school, and um, in the lab, we would calibrate the machines every morning with our own blood. And one Monday morning, we're calibrating the machines, and my liver enzymes were elevated. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I've had hepatitis before. Maybe I have it again. Or because we're handling all this blood, 
maybe there's more, you know. And, and so everybody in the lab got alarmed because we all had to have our blood checked and no, it wasn't anybody else but me. And we kept watching it over the next week and the liver enzymes went down. I thought, oh, maybe it was just a fluke. So a couple weeks later on a Monday morning, right, my liver enzymes were elevated again. And I'm, oh, you know, I've had hepatitis and I have a very sensitive liver and I was drinking this weekend and maybe my liver is just really sensitive and it doesn't want me to drink. I had no clue that my relationship with alcohol was a problem at that point. And um, my behavior with alcohol had never been what I considered problematic, but I thought maybe my liver was a little sensitive, so I should stop drinking. And this is really significant because, you know, in, in AA or in any recovery program, everybody's story is different in, in the details. But what is usually never different is the thing that we wrap up in the phrase, gift of desperation. And I stopped drinking and no longer had my buddy, my solution, and I went really crazy. And I got very, very um, fearful and angry and frightened. And in fact, I developed another lovely um, compulsive behavior that has to do with food. And um, the Navy at one point said, you know, you've gained a lot of weight and you're making the uniform look bad and you can be in the Navy or you can be fat, but you can't be both. And you know, my life often comes down to those, you've got an either or going on here and you get to choose. And um, I have an alcoholic ego and it's like, don't you dare kick me out of the Navy for being fat. You can kick me out for being a criminal, I don't care. You can kick me out for you know, being bad because that's kind of, you know, there's some cachet to that. But, um, but they were gonna kick me out for being overweight and I was horrified. So I attempted to lose the weight, and I did, and they got off my back, and then I gained the weight again because I didn't know about, I didn't know about not having a solution, not having a good solution. I just knew that anything that would take me away from my skin and my being present was good enough for me, but it didn't work. And I started getting very, very crazy and very, very, um, just desperate, it was just that desperation thing. And so the Navy sent me to treatment and I'm really grateful because what I learned in treatment was I will do anything it takes to not have my feelings. Alcohol was my best and, and first and really final solution because the food never, it took away my feelings but it didn't make me feel good, you know? And, um, and so learning that I needed a different solution was astounding to me. And learning that I needed a spiritual solution made sense, but I didn't know what to do with that. I just knew that I had no tools for living, I was not prepared at all to be a grown-up in, in the world, and when I looked out there and I compared how I felt to how you looked, I knew that I was going to lose every time. And I knew that somehow you guys, not not AA, because I didn't know AA yet, but the, everybody in the world seemed to know how to operate. You know, you can navigate life successfully. I'm the only one on the planet that doesn't seem to get this. So I went to AA in, in my treatment center, and I fell in love with you. And I fell in love with the concept of having a solution. And I read the steps, and I went, okay, got it, next. You know, so that didn't work very well right away. Um, but I, 
I was so attracted to the joy and the enthusiasm and the light that I saw in people's eyes, and I was attracted to the laughter, and I was attracted to the, the sort of dark humor that we have in meetings. And um, you know, some, some of the most funny things I've ever heard in my life, I've heard in meetings. And it's just this sort of deep belly laugh of recognition of, yeah, I get it. You know, some of the tragic, tragic stories that are so funny. And in recovery as well, the, the book says, our adventures before and after. You know, there are plenty of those. So, so I started this journey in recovery. And, um, and I, lived, I lived in San Diego. I was in the Navy at the time. And um, I, I joined the Navy in California to see the world, right? They sent me to San Diego. Um, but I loved San Diego AA, where I got sober. And... Um, and people just took me in, and they taught me stuff, and they talked to me. And the Navy, interestingly enough, trained me to be what they call alcohol treatment specialist. And so I started working in the treatment center at the hospital I worked at, and I got to work sort of both ends to the middle of being in recovery, but also reaching out and, and trying to, to support and help assist other people in finding their own recovery. And that was really quite lovely, and I'm forever grateful to the Navy, and I'm very proud that I got to be part of that process. And, um, and I believe I served my country in a really important way because I, I got to be part of people getting sober. And, um, and I got sober, and so that was also really good for the world, by the way. Um, so I always wanted to go back to Alaska. And when I got out of the Navy, um, I, again, I didn't know what to do. I didn't have any real money. And one of my nursing instructors had been a really good friend to me when I was in nursing school. And she had a little farm in Alaska and had her business partner had died and she got in touch with me and wanted to know if I wanted to move back to Alaska and she would have the business pay for me to move back. So I got to move back to Alaska and work on a farm and I lived in a little small community called Anchor Point, a couple of hundred miles from Anchorage. And I started going to meetings and um, I, I ran a crew and we worked 18 hours a day and it was great work and I had my hands in the soil and I was working with plants and I was, I had a great sponsor in, in, um, in this little tiny town. There was, there's a really strong program in Alaska and I'm so grateful for that because I got there at four, about, not, I turned four years sober when I, just after I moved there. And um, I still wasn't really good about the tools for living thing. I was a little bit crazy. And the adventures before and after part, in, in this business that we had, we made deliveries from a town called Homer all the way out to the Matsu Valley, and that's about a 250-mile range. And we would drive back and forth once a week to deliver. We, we, um, we had houseplants and bedding plants, and in the summer we had radishes and stuff I don't even remember now. Um, so we would drive once a week up and down and deliver all these things to the supermarkets along the way. And um, one day we were making deliveries and uh, I was coming across, uh, coming up to a place that was a way station on the highway and I, our delivery vehicle was a Volkswagen van and um, not a hippie one though, I promise. It was, it was a very professional one. and. Um, and a semi pulled out of the way station in front of me, and, and there was almost a collision. 
And um, I got scared, and then I got angry. And um, I decided that this driver needed to know that he was a bad driver. So in my Volkswagen, I put my foot all the way to the floor, and I leaned on the horn, and I started chasing a semi down the highway and gesticulating with you know, my version of American Sign Language, which only involved one finger. And, um, and I'm trying to tell him to pull over. And I know he saw me, because his eyes met mine and his side view mirror. And, you know, and he just was like, I am so not stopping for you. And, uh, and he had a little more power than I did. And he got away from me eventually. But I got the name and number of the company that he was driving for. And by God, I was going to tell them what kind of a terrible driver he was. And, you know. and no cell phones in those days, which we should all be grateful for at that point. And um, so I got out to the valley, and I had to make my deliveries, and I got to a payphone, and I called up the company, and I gave her, the, the dispatcher, I gave this earful of bad driver, truck number so-and-so, terrible, death, awful, bad. And I took a breath, and she said, so you're the crazy lady in the Volkswagen? <laughs> yes. So a moment of humility. But you know, it was so good for me because the thing is, I could have used the recovery. I mean, at four years sober, I was still learning. But I could have used my program. I could have used the steps. I could have immediately noticed that we didn't have an accident and I wasn't dead and done step one. Powerless over the guy. We're cool, it's unmanageable, just let it go. I could have just done that. I didn't. But I could have noticed a little later that I was being a little crazy, right? Sanity, step two, could have been restored to sanity if I could have just shut up and gotten out of the way and practiced a little step three, let my higher power be in charge. Clearly, everything's okay, we're fine. Didn't do that. Could have moved on along even later to, you know, essentially step 10, to, um, did I have a part in this? Now, here's the deal. The Eagle River Way Station, you can see from a really long way. I could have noticed that this man was trying to pull out into, into traffic. And there were two lanes on the highway. I could have moved over, I could have slowed down or sped up, depending on, you know, but apparently I wasn't really paying attention. So what I learned from that experience, though, was that I can use my steps it says, practice the principles in all our affairs, right? I could have actually just used my steps, saved myself a couple of hours of being indignant, although self-righteous indignation is my favorite character defect. And um, I use it even still, occasionally. Um, so I, I love that I had that experience because it really taught me something. It taught me that I can do that whole pause when agitated thing. I remember the page 90 in the 12 and 12 that says every time we are disturbed, no matter what the cause, there's something wrong with us. I could have noticed there was something very wrong with me at that moment. And um, I, I love that I have those moments in my recovery that I can, I'm teachable today. When, when you give me directions or guidance of some kind or even a book or, or a meme on Facebook, it doesn't matter. I mean, there are things that actually I can learn from today. And I was not teachable when I got here. Well, I had to be a little bit or I wouldn't have stayed. But I, I, 
I spent most of my life not being teachable, saying, no, I know better. No, I'm going to do it my way. No, and, and we know, most of us, what happens when we do it our way. Uh, here I am. That's, that's how I got here, you know. Um, so I, I love that I have those moments in life that, that give me the heads up, that give me the, hello, are you paying attention? And that give me the opportunity to use the tools that I've been given. Um, lots and lots of things along the way have given me that. And I'll probably share a few more in a little bit. So I, I worked on the farm for a couple of years, and then I moved to Anchorage because there were a lot more opportunities in Anchorage. And um, I went back to school, I got a degree, I got a couple of them. Um, I got some really good jobs working with some great people, and I got to work in the field of treatment, and I, I, I was at one treatment center for 22 years, and um, I, I am just so grateful for the opportunities I've had to work with people. And, you know, initially the tradition um, issue came up about, you know, we, we're not paid for being in recovery, and we're not paid for being of service. And so I, I tried to balance, you know, I didn't come into the field as you're going to pay me for being in recovery. I came into the field to use the education I was given, and I shared my recovery because it was appropriate. And, um, and, and I really like that I got to work in a facility where a lot of the other counselors were also in recovery, and it really was helpful to the, to the clients that we had there. Not all of the counselors were, and sometimes that was an issue. So I, uh, I'm really grateful that I got to do that. I, um, I started going to other 12-step programs at about eight or nine years because I realized that I had some other issues. And I have to share such gratitude with Al-Anon for saving my life in so many ways as well. I was in a relationship with someone who was not using, but was not actually in recovery, and our relationship got more and more toxic. And I was given the tools of courage to be able to leave that relationship because of, of working the steps in, in the area of relationships. And my AA tools saved my life because when I left that relationship, finally with the courage to leave, that person committed suicide. And of all of the things in my life that I have ever experienced, I don't think I'd ever had that kind of pain or, or real, really shock um, because I just, you know, I just didn't get why, you know, how? Why would you do that? But it was somebody who'd been depressed and suicidal even before we'd ever met, you know, for years. And so it just took me a short time to, to realize that it wasn't my fault that you know, I had indeed actually made a really healthy decision. But what I did, because I was in so much pain, is I went to more meetings, and I called people. I have learned to ask for help, and I've learned to ask for support, and I've learned to take care of myself as a result of being in 12-step recovery. And I had a friend come and stay with me. She stayed with me, I think, for three months. And it was weird, because I'd go to the store to go shopping, and I was in in shock that the whole world didn't just stop because this thing had happened. You know, it was just so shocking to me. And so I really needed help, and I'm so grateful because I learned how to ask for help in these rooms. 
I learned how to do what was going to be good for me and going to more meetings and reading more and praying more and practicing the principles more, more intentionally. And, and I got through it and I had some really great experiences as a result of that. Um, Shortly after that occurred, I was diagnosed with hepatitis C, and I imagine most of you know what that is or have heard of it. Um, it was fairly new at the time. This was in 90, I think it was 93, and um, I didn't know what it was. So I got online and I did a lot of research and I realized that, you know, at, at the time I think I was like 16 years sober or something like that, and I was so grateful that I hadn't been drinking for such a long time because my liver probably would have killed me before that, you know, I don't know if I would have lived long enough to even get the diagnosis. But it was also very clear that all of the stuff that I did when I was out in the streets running around doing all that kind of stuff, there was still a price to pay for, for the previous, my, my previous life, so to say. Um, but the cool thing was, because I have these tools, I, I cooperated with the doctors, I had liver biopsies, they said, well, we have this one, this one thing that we use, it's a, it's a rejected chemotherapy that didn't work very well for the cancer patients, but it's kind of the only thing we have, so we're going to give it to you only if your liver gets worse, because it's also been, also been known to cause suicidal depression and thyroid explosion and your hair will fall out and you know all kinds of stuff but um, you know if your liver gets worse that's all we got and uh, and we don't want you to live alone or you know be alone while you're on it or anything like that I'm like oh, yeah really I want to sign me up um, a couple years later they did another liver biopsy and I had progressed into early cirrhosis and they said really if you don't want to get liver cancer, this is the only thing we know that's going to prevent that to, to some degree. And so I consented to take the interferon treatment. And again, AA saved my life. I went to extra meetings. The, the treatment was really brutal. Um, I had to give myself an injection three times a week. And what's really cool about that is I didn't want to. It was really... <laughs> Yay! Um, and... Um, and I woke up, each morning after that, I would wake up feeling like I'd been hit by a train. My hair hurt, my bones hurt, everything. It was just, it, and I had no energy, and there were days when taking a shower was the only activity I could do, and that was it for the day. I was, I was done. And um, the place I worked allowed me to stay on five hours a week with benefits. Is that amazing? They were so good to me. And, um, and so I had enough energy to go to work five hours a week, take a shower every once in a while, you know. Um, and, and I'm also a musician, by the way, and I was in a band, and I, I was able to, to play on the weekends, and, and somehow that gave me just enough enthusiasm and sense of participation in life and joy that it just sort of kept me going. But I did this every, I did this for 14 months. At 12 months, I told my doctor I was done. I said, I, I just can't live like this anymore. I, I, my brain, I, I think I lost an IQ point every day. I didn't read for a year and a half. And I'm a voracious reader. I love to read. I couldn't read. And, um, and he said, well, you can't stop abruptly. You have to taper down. So 14 months instead of, he wanted me on for 18 months. 
But the thing is, I went to a lot of meetings. I had time to go to a lot of meetings because I didn't have the energy to go to work, and so I didn't go to work, and so I went to a lot of meetings. And you guys lifted me up, and you carried me, and you offered me support and enthusiasm and cheerleading, and you know, what a family we have. My, my mom would have loved to do it for me, but she would have done it sort of over in excess, and she would have, um, like I said, she needed Al-Anon, so I was really glad I lived 3,000 miles from her. And um, again, though, the people in this program were there for me, and I did not get, um, this did not get suicidally depressed. My hair didn't fall out, my thyroid didn't explode, and the unfortunate part was I didn't lose the weight they said I would lose. So, you know, it's like the one side effect I really wanted I didn't get to have, but uh, that's okay. And, and so, you know, the thing in recovery is they didn't promise me that my life was going to get better. What they promised was I would learn to live life on life's terms. And what I learned is I got better. And I get more every day, even now, I get better at handling what shows up for me. And I get better at trusting. You know, our Al-Anon speaker earlier today was talking about, you know, it always turns out okay. And it does, and there's a saying, it turns out okay at the end. They forget to tell us the rest of it, which is if it's not okay, it's just not the end. When, when there's resolution, no matter what it is, I'm usually able to go, oh, okay, I guess that's what's happening. Next, you know, and I've learned that here. And um, I just, I've learned to be enthusiastic. I didn't have joy of living when I got here. I didn't have joy of living most of my life. And I've learned that here. I've learned about enthusiasm, which one of the things I love about that word, it's the root, the Greek root of that word is two, two words. En means in, infused with, and theos means God. And so enthusiasm for me is I'm filled with God. And I've gotten that here. I wasn't enthusiastic about anything when I got here. I was, I was determined about a lot of stuff, but I wasn't enthused and I wasn't, I, I would wake up in the morning being just like disappointed. I woke up. Now what am I going to do? I have to do the day. And in my recovery, I wake up and I'm kind of excited. And I, I've made a habit of saying thank you when I wake up because, wow, what did I get to do today? And everything I have in my life that's worth having, and which is pretty much my whole life now, is from here, from you. I met a guy that... It took me seven years to meet him. I had a friend who told me for seven years I needed to meet this guy. I'm like, <laughs> I'm busy that day, right? I finally met him, set of circumstances, and he was a pretty nice guy. Probably if I'd met him 20 years earlier, he would have bored me to tears. And, um, but I figured at the time I met him, I, I, he was kind of nice, and we started hanging out, and he said one night, he said, I think we're falling in love, which scared me to death. And I, but I thought about it, and I thought, well, maybe, I don't know. I don't have any idea what that is or how that feels. Maybe he's right. And um, a year and a half later, we got married, and we're still married. We've been married almost 18 years now. I know. Who knew? We still like each other. I know. So that's because of you guys. I figured I have enough tools for living. Maybe I can be trusted to have a relationship. And he's a normie. He, um, 
I know I have to stop in just a minute, but I gotta tell you, he drinks a half a beer, he pours it out of the bottle, which is already weird, because it's already in its own container. Why are you, you know? It's a, and he sips it, and then when he's done, he's done, and he doesn't drink the rest. And I asked him, I said, why, what's with the, what's with all this stuff? And he goes, well, after about half a beer, the alcohol numbs my taste buds, I can't taste it anymore, what's the point? <laughs> what? You know, so I'm sure that I, I met him at a time when I could appreciate who he is because I would never have gotten that before. I have to tell one more quick story because I know I have to stop. Adventures before and after, enthusiasm, participation, joy. A number of years ago, I decided to do the polar bear jump. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's January in Anchorage, or in, actually in Seward, Alaska, and they do it in other parts of the country. You go jump in the water in the middle of winter. And so I signed up to do this on a team, and we're all, yay, it's wonderful. And I was wearing, we had a costume. We were the Looney Tunes. I wore Taz, fitting. And um, so I jump in the water, and I'd been watching all these people jump in the water and swim and get back up and all victorious. And so this is going to be great. And I jump in the water, and I sink like a stone. They had paramedics in the water, by the way. It's very good. And so I finally come up to the surface, and I'm, the breath is knocked out of me, and I'm dog paddling, and they escort me to the dock. And, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, well, that was weird. So I get out, and a couple days later, I'm watching the YouTube video, and I'm watching all this activity, and I'm watching me, and I'm going, how come I didn't just pop up and yay and swim and get that? And I realized I forgot I can't swim. <laughs> and I thought, you know, how alcoholic is that? I sign up to do this amazing thing without really thinking or thinking it through. You know, I'm just like, I can stay afloat, no big deal. But you know, I love that I've become that person today in my recovery, that I can just sort of show up and do stuff and participate at a really high level. And, um, and when it doesn't go well, I kind of get amused by it. And I am so grateful to you guys for giving me that appreciation and joy of living. Thank you so much.